your bulletin, you'll find an outline for this morning, and we'll be walking through that. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Romans chapter 6, or grab one of the Pew Bibles in front of you. I'm sorry, John chapter 20, we're going to start there. Page 906 in the Pew Bible that you have. Do you have things in your life that you wish you could go back and do over again? A fight, maybe, that you wish you could take back? A poor decision that ended up costing you dearly? Wishing you had gone to college or maybe completed college? Maybe that you had gotten married or maybe that you hadn't gotten married? Maybe if you had studied harder on that test, your GPA would be a little higher than it is now. And even when we retake the test, somehow that thing is still there haunting us that we didn't quite do what we wanted to do. I guess all of us were haunted by something like that in our past, if we're honest. And it could even be this morning, something that happened. You're like, oh, I just wish I could redo that again. I wish I could have a do-over. And we all wish that we could go back and have do-overs. The reality is we never have an opportunity to time travel. We can never go back and redo something that's been done. It is done, marked as history. Easter is not a do-over. Here's what Easter is. It's not a redo of the past but it's a redo for the present. I don't have to go in the past, but here's what Easter does. Easter gives me a redo in the here and in the now. We understand on the first day of the week, very early in the morning narratives from the Gospels, but in John chapter 20, we read in the evening of the first day. Now, this is for those of you who are not early birds, that Jesus got up early on the first day of the week, Fortunately, John chapter 20 gives us what happened in the evening. So in John chapter 20, in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they have forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus, on the evening of that first day of the week, gave the Holy Spirit in a breath as a, as a kind of appetizer, as a kind of foretaste of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost that was going to be 50 days later. You see, this was just the appetizer, the real meal deal came on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the church and now indwells all those who are in Christ. That's us. We are here after the resurrection and after the ascension. Death and life are part of life. Everything dies and then things come back to life again. Everything dies spiritually as well. There is spiritual death but there's also a spiritual life. And so we've been walking through the book of Romans over the last couple weeks as we've led up to Easter. And so in Romans chapter 6, Paul gives us in the first 14 verses kind of a synopsis of what's happening in our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we were buried into death We were buried with Christ, and so in that, because we have died, then there's what? There is the hope of resurrection, of new life. And as you look at Romans chapter 6, it is death, life, death, life, death, life, death, life. Over and over, Paul talks about that. And so Paul says, once we have been buried with Christ, 
We have been then raised to new life. And so if you uh, look at our lives, there is death to, there's death and then there is life. There is death to that old self, right? The, the soul, our old self was crucified. And now this body of sin that we still walk around in has been rendered powerless. It's like the plug has been pulled. So our new, we have new life on the inside. But let's be honest, we still have the same old bodies. When we become Christians, we don't all of a sudden have this brand new body that doesn't sin anymore. It doesn't have any desires anymore. It doesn't have any uh, temptations anymore. How do all those things enter into us through our bodies, through our senses? And so if you look at the verses in Romans chapter 6, I put this on your notes. If you look at those and take out all the death parts and just look at the resurrection parts, it's, Paul says, for now we know so. What is what he says? For, for we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we were united in his death, we will be united in a resurrection. So now we believe that we will also live with him, right? In the here and the now. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. So consider yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. For now we know so. For now we know that because we were buried with Christ that we will also live with Christ. So consider yourselves alive to Jesus. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus. And so then Paul, in Romans chapter 7, he talks about this tension between our renewed spirit still living in, he calls it this body of death. Don't you just get tired of the struggle sometimes? I mean, you want to do the right thing. You want to live a holy life. You want to not sin. You want to be more like Jesus. But at the same time, there's these struggles and there's these temptations in the flesh, right? It's because our renewed spirit wants to do the thing, but this body is pulling us in a different direction. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 7, he talks about this conflict. It's the conflict between your redeemed spirit and your unredeemed body. That's, who, that's where we are right now. And so Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't. Why? Because we have this mix. And so he, in Romans chapter 7, he highlights this. Then we get to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to give you a homework assignment for today. I want you to go home and I want you to read Romans chapter 8. The whole thing from beginning to end. Because we are not going to have time to do the whole thing. We are just going to get the highlights of Romans chapter 8. But listen what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you ought to be saying amen. Let me, let me start again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? That's why we're here to celebrate. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You see, God's law is good. It's just that our flesh is weak. And so when God says, don't do something, we're like, mm, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. I really want to do it. In my mind, I know God's right. And I know what God says is good. But man, I got this flesh and I really want to do it. It's weakened by the flesh. All laws are weakened by the flesh. You send your kids to your room to clean up your room. And you go up and they haven't cleaned up their room. Why? Because it's weakened by the flesh. The toys are more appealing than organizing the sock drawer. And we understand that. 
And so Paul says, what we couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on what? The things of the flesh. But those who are living according to the spirit set their mind on what? The things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Is death. Here Paul is. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's what Paul says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, God's spirit dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. That's how we are part of this body. But if Christ is in you... Although the body is dead because of sin, right? That sin that's in our flesh. What the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, it's a foretaste. We've got the appetizer. We've got the Holy Spirit living in us as the foretaste of something great that is going to happen. So what does Paul talk about? Paul talks about the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus' penalty has paid for me what I couldn't pay for myself. I was the one who was to be condemned. I was the one who has sinned. But Jesus took that on for me. And he paid the penalty for me. And Paul says we have been set free from condemnation now that we have the power of the Spirit in our lives. Paul says this. The bad news is this, right? Is is that we have this flesh. We have this thing. But the very good news is your spirit is alive because of righteousness. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you are a combination of a dying body and a living spirit. And that's the source of all your conflict. That's the source of your struggle. That's the source of your pains. That's why when you got up this morning, you heard bones creaking, and you heard things that were uh, wheezing, and you have things that were sore, and right, that's why, you, that's why you take the pills like Skittles every morning, you just pop them all in there, right? It's why, because it's a, we're in this dying body, but we have this living spirit. And Paul says there's this tension and there's this thing that goes on in our lives. And so just as, but Easter is not, the, is not the end of the story, but it's just the beginning of the story. Because Paul says this, just as our spirits have been raised from the dead, so our bodies also will be raised from the dead. That's the hope that we have. You see, it's important that we understand Jesus was raised in the flesh. Why? Because he was the firstborn that he set the template, the tone for what's going to happen to all those who are in him. When you're in Jesus, here's what's going to happen. You're going to die. You just are. You're, you're in a dying body. There is, you're, nobody gets out of this planet alive. We all die. But here's the hope. Because you have the spirit of life in you, that although your body dies, one day that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you up from the dead. That's the hope of Easter. 
The hope of Easter is that one day in the future that my redeemed soul is going to be together with my redeemed body. And ooh, man, that's going to be a wonderful place. It's going to be a wonderful state. We have been raised to life. You know, TV sports have sponsors. You're watching the Super Bowl. You're watching the, uh, the Caps game, whatever it is, brought to you by Quicken Loans, Capital One, Coke Zero, right? Here's what Romans 8 is. Romans 8 is this. The life of the Holy Spirit is brought to you by the resurrection. The resurrection is the sponsor of the life of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. Now, I had a conversation with somebody a few years ago. He's like, I get the cross. I understand why Jesus died for my sins. But why the resurrection? Like, he understood why Jesus rose from the dead. But he's like, why the resurrection? Well, here's why. Remember these two things, double trouble and double cure. We are in double trouble. One is... We are in trouble because we've sinned. And legally, we are sinners and we've been declared guilty. And so on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. So double trouble needs a double cure. So the cure for the first part is we were guilty. So Jesus on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. And so God says, when you are in Jesus, no penalty for you. Isn't that awesome news? When you're in Jesus... There is no penalty for you. Now, it doesn't take us long to understand that once we've been sinning for a while, we kind of like it. Man, it feels kind of good after a while, doesn't it? Now, sin always feels good in the moment, but afterwards it leaves what? It leaves carnage and wreckage. There is regret and guilt and pain and all kinds of things. But we know that the first time we sin, it's, it's difficult. The second time is not so difficult. Remember the first time you lied to your parents? Like, you thought it was awful. How about the time you just lied to them yesterday or this morning? Not so hard, was it? Why? Because our natures then become corrupted. Our natures become sinful. So double trouble is we are in trouble legally, but then we've also got these bodies that are sinful. We've got this spirit that's sinful. And so the double cure is on the cross, Jesus says, not guilty. And in the resurrection, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to make you all new on the inside. I'm going to renew your spirit. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to resurrect your soul so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. Because if he didn't do the second part, we would have no hope. We would just keep sinning and sinning and doing the wrong things. But the double cure is what? It's the cross and it's the resurrection. It's the resurrection is the sponsorship for what? The life of the Holy Spirit. You've been out mowing You're working hard and you're sweating and you go in and you take those clothes off. You know those clothes that when you throw them on the floor, you think they will crawl away on their own power. Like they are that rank. Like we've all been there, right? So you get in the shower, you get all clean and you do all that stuff. Now let me ask you something. When you come out of the shower, are you going to get down on the, pick those old clothes up off the floor and put them back on? No, why? Because I'm all clean now. And to put the old clothes on would kind of defeat the purpose. I'm going to have to go get a shower again. But that's what God does for us. He cleans us up and he gives us new clothes to wear. He cleans us up and says, I'm going to forgive your sin, but I'm going to clothe you in the power of the Spirit. You're going to have new clothes to wear so that not only are you clean, but you're going to have this new nature now to not want to do the thing that you want to do. You see, it's not a redo. I can't go back and redo it, but it really what it is, it's a do over my life today. God renovates and he remakes me 
So I'm going to give you just four things real quick as we walk through Romans chapter 8. Uh, things that you can apply to your life if you are in Christ. It's all, listen, it's all hinged on the fact that I have given my life to Jesus. That I've been buried with Jesus. That I've been raised to, with Jesus. Right, Everything that happens to Jesus, when I'm in him, it's going to happen to me. So the first thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 8 is this. Is that we live by the Spirit. When we were buried with Christ, the cross was applied to our lives. When we received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection was applied to our lives. And so now, I don't have to walk around the same old me. People are spending lots of money to get their bodies changed. Have you seen some of these uh, movie stars on TV? Like you do a double take. And you're like, I think that looks like that person. But I'm not quite sure. They look really different. It's the Kenny Rogers syndrome. Have you, you need to look at some pictures of Kenny Rogers before and some Kenny Rogers after. And you don't recognize the dude. It's like, what in the world happens? But that happens in our lives, right? These people spend lots of money to redo our bodies. But here's what God says. In Christ, I crucified your, the, the, the sin. And now you get, a, you get a whole new redo through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It's a gift. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to take out a loan to buy it. It it comes part and parcel with the package. And so Paul says in this, in Romans chapter 8, he says, those, if the Spirit is in you, the Spirit that that raised Jesus from the dead will raise your bodies also. So here's what Paul says. We live by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. We are adopted by the Spirit. Man, you need, if you are feeling lonely today, and you are feeling that you don't belong anywhere, you need to read Romans chapter 8. Paul says, when the Spirit is in you, you have been adopted into God's family. God only had one biological son, (laughs) Jesus. Everybody else gets in his family by adoption. And it's the Spirit that Paul says. So we live by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. A father and a son arrived in a small western town, and they were looking for an uncle whom they had never seen before. Suddenly the father, pointing across the square to a man who was walking across the square, he said, there goes my uncle. His son asked him, he said, how do you know he's your uncle when you've never seen him before? And the father said, son, I know him because he walks exactly like my father. If, we're, if we walk in the spirit, the world will know that we're walking just like our father. We're led by the spirit. We're living by him. So Paul says this, we live by the Spirit. Like, everyday life is a life by the Spirit. Your, your old life is resurrected into this new life. Now, who wouldn't want that? Well, lots of people don't want that. Because I want to do it my way. And I want to live my way. And I want to call the shots. And I want to be my own God with a little G. And I don't want God to interfere with my life. And so I'm just going to be busy. I'm going to be belligerent. I'm going to be bitter. And I'm just going to be angry. And I'm just going to do it my way. And here's the problem. When I do it my way, God will let me do it my way. And my way never turns out the right way. And what do we say? Well, I need, I just, I didn't do it right that time. So I'm going to have to try harder the next time. And so I just exert more energy. And what happens? I fall down again. 
So we live. We live by the Spirit. Every day it's a life by the Spirit. The second thing Paul says about the resurrection that is the sponsor of the Spirit in our life is we were saved. Um, we were saved in hope. Paul says this. He said we were saved in hope. We weren't saved by hope. It's not hope that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 8, in verses 18 to 25, he talks about this strange thing that happens in our lives. He says, we are groaning. We are waiting. We want something new to happen. And in this life right now, we, even though our souls are redeemed, we're in, these, we're in these dying bodies and the sin sometimes still has a hold. But he says this, we are saved in hope. Could you use some hope in your life? I mean, just hope that something's going to turn out better. I'm not even talking perfect. I'm just talking better than what it is today. Hope is such a powerful motivator. You read stories of uh, prisoners in World War II who are in concentration camps. Everything was taken away, but what? Hope. Hope is what keeps us going. Hope is what gets us out of the bed in the morning. Hope is what helps us put one foot in front of the other. Hope is is what we need in life. And hope, if it's not based on Jesus, is fleeting. Everything you hope in right now is going to be gone. Did you know that? Except Jesus. Your job's going to be gone. Your spouse is going to be gone. Your children are going to be gone. Your car is going to be gone. Your house is going to be gone, right? Everything we hope in that's not Jesus is going to be gone. It's just the nature of it. Paul says that in Romans chapter 8. Everything is what? groaning and wasting away. Brene Brown says this, children are not learning how to handle adversity or disappointment because parents are always rescuing and protecting them. Most interestingly, this concern about children who can't handle disappointment are coming from the same parents who are chronically intervening, rescuing and protecting. So parents rescue their kids. Oh, no. Little Susie got picked on on the playground. I'm going to march in that principal's office, and I'm going to demand that the child who picked on my daughter gets hauled into the office and gets suspended for three days. Their car gets repossessed. Their house gets sold. I want some justice. Intervening. But that parent's the same one complaining that we're overprotecting our children. But she goes on to say this. Rescuing and intervening are not only unhelpful, it is dangerous. Here's why. Hope is a function of struggle. Hope is a function of struggle. So as parents, we need to let our kids struggle and not always fix everything because what? It develops them, but God does the same for us. He allows us to struggle and to be in the mess and to be in the thick of things. Why? Because hope is a function of struggle. You don't need hope if there's no struggle. If things are going well, what are you going to hope for? Well, heaven, I get that, right? But isn't it true in life when there's the struggle, that's when we need hope. And so God, instead of coming in and intervening, he will allow us to struggle because it's the world we live in in Romans chapter 8. 
We wait longingly, Romans 8 says, for the redemption of our bodies. In fact, verse 22 says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Paul says in the struggle, in your struggle, it's the first fruit of the Spirit brought to you by the resurrection that gives us hope. Everybody lives by hope. We all live by some kind of hope. But Paul's talking about a certain kind of hope. It's the hope of Jesus. Science says our hope is in fighting climate change. We only have 12 years to live. So we need to, we need to change it. We need to right, get it all fixed. Because what if we don't turn the tide, we're all dead. Or some hope in, in economics. Right? I just hope that everything works out. But everybody hopes in something. But enter Christianity. Here's what Christianity says. Do you know Christianity is more pessimistic about human nature and history than any other worldview? Christianity says this about history and humans. They're awful. <laughs> they do terrible things. They mess things up. We're all sinners. That's what Christianity says. It's, a, it's very pessimistic about uh, humans and human nature. Human nature is flawed, and we can't reason, explore, or fund our way out of our problems. We can't create utopia on earth. It's just not going to happen. But at the same time, Christianity is more optimistic about the material world's future than any other worldview. Why? Because it's all going to be restored. So we live in this paradox of this place where we are, but the place where we're not yet. And what's the motivator brought to you by the resurrection? It is hope. Third thing, we are helped in our weaknesses. Have you ever been at such a loss you didn't know what to do? Something happened, the phone rings, you get some news, maybe out of the blue, and you, you just haven't... And, and for a moment, you're what? You're, you're, you can't talk. You can't think. You may even say to yourself, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do now. There's this, there's this moments in our lives the doctor calls with the test results and you're just speechless. I just thought it was nothing. The boss calls you and says, you don't need to come to work tomorrow. Your position's been eliminated. And you're just numb. Your wife says, I don't love you anymore. The kids don't talk to you anymore. You're rejected. You don't know where to go for help or you don't even know what to pray. And we are very weak. But Jesus, listen, Jesus was rejected and he was numb and he was hurt. And because of him, look what Paul says in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know what to pray we ought to, but the spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. That's the kind of help we need. In those weak moments of our lives, when things just feel like, I don't know what to do, it's the Spirit brought to you by the resurrection that lives in us. When we've died with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ, we have the gift of the Spirit in our lives. And so the Spirit helps you in your weakness. Who's helping you in your weakness? We just think, well, I'll just help myself. We can only help ourselves so long. After a while, we get tired and we wear out. Or maybe my friends will help me. Listen, your friends do not help you. They want to be your friends, so they're not going to tell you what you need to hear. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. That's what friends do. Friends don't tell the truth to friends. But a certain kind of friend does. 
Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he will tell us what we are really like. And it means being vulnerable and having emotional exposure before God. It means we go out on a limb with God, a very, very high limb. And the Spirit will help us. While we're groaning, what happens? The Spirit is groaning. The Spirit helps us pray. The Bible says God works things out for good for what? Those who love him. It doesn't say what you're going through is good. It says that the Spirit will help you in this weak time and something good can come from this. Wouldn't you like that kind of help in your weakness? Brought to you by the resurrection. Fourth thing that Paul says is we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. We're not victims, we're victors. Jesus was a victim because he never sinned. But he was more than a victim. He was victorious over death. And when we are in Christ, we benefit from Jesus' suffering and his resurrection. We are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Because we're in Jesus. Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's Jesus. Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus says, I have paid the price for you. Why are you trying to pay it yourself? Why are you trying to work it off? Why are you trying to make up for all those things? You let me do it. And when you're in me, when you surrender to me and you die to me, you're going to be resurrected to new life. We're more than conquerors. We were talking this morning before, right after breakfast, um, you know, we're talking about playing games, and, and there's some competitive people when, we, when you play games, right? You just know who they are. They just, they just want to win, and they're not very nice about it. But there's also people who lose, and they're not very nice about it either. But the point is, why do you play the game if you don't want to win? We go to the game, and we're like, you know, I'd really like to play chess with you, and I really hope I lose. No, we want to win. But we don't always win in life. There's a lot against us. There's a lot of things that tear us down. There's a lot of things that are opposed to us. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We're more than just winning the game. We are more than all of those things. You need to listen to this this morning. Romans 8, 37. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can follow along. No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to what Paul says. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You need to hear that this morning. You have somebody who is on your side. It is Jesus. And when we are in Jesus, when we died to him, Paul says in Romans 6, I was baptized into death and I rise to a new life. Listen, God is for you. He helps you in your weakness. You are more than a conqueror. You have all that you need in your life through him. You have the hope that you are so desperately looking for in Jesus. What works life in us, or rather, who works this life in us? It's the spirit of the resurrected Jesus. That's why the, that's why the spirit is, in, is, is integral to the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead for new life because he offers that new life to us 
as well. We are, we are more than conquerors. There is no condemnation. We know that we sin, but we aren't condemned for our sin when we're in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great news? People hold stuff against us all the time. All the time. Why didn't you text me back? I texted you five seconds ago. I haven't heard from you. What's the matter with you? I emailed you this morning. Why haven't you emailed back? Are you mad at me? Or why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? People hold stuff against us all the time. Often through no fault of our own. You know, here's a rule that would change, revolutionize our lives. Assume the best in people. Assume they're coming from a good motive instead of assigning an evil motive. We see that enough in the world. We are always assigning evil motives to people. Why don't you start assigning good motives and see how your life changes? If you feel that everybody's against you, it's because you are assigning evil motives to people. Not everybody that does everything to you is because they're evil. It's just that they're forgetful. It's because we don't, rem- we don't know Don't you want the benefit of the doubt that the reason I did something wasn't because I'm evil, but I'm just forgot? I didn't realize that this was going to hurt you. I didn't realize this word or this action was going to upset you. Don't assign such evil motives to people. Our politics is full of that. But it cannot be that way in the life of a believer. Stop assigning evil motives to everything everybody does that you don't like. Why? Because we have the hope of the resurrection. I am more than conquerors. The Spirit helps me in my weakness, and so I can let God sort all that out. I don't have to. And so I have this power in me. Who works in us? Or rather, what works in us? Who? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. It only works if we first die, that we die to ourselves. It means we need to surrender to Jesus We need to submit to Jesus. We need to surrender to his will. Here's how most of us approach life. We pass out for blowing up balloons. So this balloon is me. And this is how we approach life. Well, I went to church, or I read my Bible, and I heard that I'm supposed to be a good father. So I wasn't really good with the kids this morning, so I'm going to try harder to be a good father father and a better husband. I'm not a very good listener. And that's true. You can ask Christy, but I'm going to try to be a better listener. Oh, I forgot about the kids. I need to do them. Oh, now I got my job and I got to be a better employee because Paul talks about being a good employee and I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. I got to go to church. Oh, I miss church. I got to make up for that. So I'm going to keep trying. See what happens. What am I doing? I am going and going and going and who gets tired after a while. Why? Because this balloon that is me is full of me. I put my air into this balloon and it is now full of me. Here's what God does in the resurrection of Jesus. He creates a new me so that it's not me in there anymore, but it's the spirit of the living God who is now at work in me. See the difference? Same balloon, different inside. This one is full of me. That one, 
It's full of the Spirit, praise God. And I don't have to work at keeping it afloat. It floats by itself. That is the power of the resurrection. I get so tired of doing this. I want that, don't you? And what happens is, when I get out of me through the death and surrender to Jesus, God moves in by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it by trying really hard. I just get tired. And I want to take a nap. And then I'm not being a good dad. And I'm not being a good husband and a good pastor. And then i got to start all over again with some more coffee and some more of this, right? And it doesn't work. Once we're spiritually dead, we can't raise ourselves. Once we are physically dead, we cannot raise ourselves. But there's one who could raise himself. John chapter 10, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my, I lay down my life, and I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. That's why we celebrate today. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Aren't you tired of trying? Are you just tired of feeling weak and hopeless? Aren't you just tired of feeling alone? Are you just, are you just tired of like saying, what's the use? Here's what's the use. When you surrender your life to Jesus, when you live by the Spirit, do all the things that Paul talks about in Romans 8, you will soar. It's the Spirit in us. That's what's being led by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. In Christ, we are raised to new life. It is Him alone that is our righteousness. It's Him alone that our life is found. It's in Him alone that we have new life. Aren't you tired of trying to keep it all together? Just tired of putting everybody in their place and making sure everybody's doing everything you want them to do? Aren't you tired of not really being different? I mean, we dress up. You all look really nice today. We, dress, we, we look good. But if we're honest, we know it's a facade. Inside, I'm dying. Inside, I'm not really different. Inside, things kind of go cyclical. Like, I got this problem. I thought I got it over, and now it's back again, and over, and over, and over. You see, Easter isn't about fancy clothes, flowers, or dressing up. It's about new life on the inside. See, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you die to him, you'll be raised to life. Romans 7, he talks about the struggle. We're all in that struggle. But in Romans 8, what he's saying is, even in the midst of the struggle, even though in that midst of all that, there is therefore now what? No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus isn't beating you up about things. Why are you doing that to yourself? If you're in Christ Guilt is good. It's healthy. Guilt is like, I did something wrong, and now I need to change it by the power of the Spirit, right? But I can't go back and redo the things I've did in the past. I can apologize. I can seek amends. I can do all those things, but the things still happened. What Easter is, is it's a redo for today. Don't you want that redo? I do. I need the redo every day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mid-morning, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, late evening. And the time's in between. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So we come to our time of prayer, our time of invitation. It's a time for us just to remember 
Who are you relying on? Are you trying to do it all? I'm sorry that Christians have given Christianity a bad name. (laughs) I'm sorry if your impression of Christianity is that we're all just kind of perfect and we all get together and we all remind each other how perfect we are. That's totally not who we are. We are messed up. We are sinners. We are broken. We are weak. We are frail. We make mistakes. We make people mad. We make people angry. We do the wrong thing. We do the dumb thing. We do the stupid thing. And that's who we are in Christ. But in Christ, we have the Spirit that when I rely on the Spirit, He gives me the power to do for myself what I can't do for myself. Christianity is, you can't do it on your own, but there's one who did it for you. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Is He your hope this morning? Is Christ alone the one who's helping you in your weakness? Is Christ alone the one who is whispering in your ear, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. Paul talks about grace in Romans chapter 6. And when I understand grace, it's freeing and it lifts me up. Would you please stand and we're going to pray and have a time for you to pray and have a time for you if you need prayer to go back to the corner in your right. Um, The men will pray with you back there. But let's pray. Father, We're just tired. I mean, we've been trying to do it on our own and just say, well, I dropped it this time and I'm just going to do better the next time. But God, we all need the redo today. The redo that's brought to us by the resurrection, the power of the spirit that's in our lives. So Father, for the heart that is here today that is heavy and feels condemned, even though they are in Christ, would you just... Remind them again, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The heart that's here today that is is just so weak, they just don't know what to say or how to say it or to even pray. Father, would you just remind them that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses? Father, for the person today who is hopeless, just I don't know how things are going to turn out, would you remind that person, if they're in Christ, that we are saved In hope, there is hope because of the empty grave. Father, for all of us, as we try to navigate this life as a redeemed soul in this unredeemed body and the struggle that we face, may we really try to live by the Spirit. We're tired of being full of ourselves. May we surrender and be filled with your Spirit. That we don't have to try harder. We can just surrender and have you lift us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.